0: Chapter Twenty Four, of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reports progress in certain homely matters of love, hatred, jealousy, and revenge. "Hullo, Pecksniff!" cried Mr. Jonas from the parlour. "Isn't somebody a going to open that precious old door of yours immediately, Mr. Jonas? Immediately!" "Ecod," muttered the orphan not before its time neither whoever it is has knocked three times and each one loud enough to wake the he had such a repugnance to the idea of waking the dead that he stopped even then with the words upon his tongue and said instead the seven sleepers immediately mr jonas immediately repeated pecksniff thomas pinch he couldn't make up his mind in his great agitation whether to call tom his dear friend or a villain so he shook his fist at him pro tem go up to my daughter's room and tell them who is here say silence silence do you hear me sir directly sir cried tom departing in a state of much amazement on his errand you'll now (laughs) ha ha excuse me mr jonas if i close this door a moment will you said pecksniff this may be a professional call indeed i am pretty sure it is thank you then mr pecksniff gently warbling a rustic stave put on his garden hat seized a spade and opened the street-door, calmly appearing on the threshold, as if he thought he had, from his vineyard, heard a modest rap, but was not quite certain. Seeing a gentleman and a lady before him, he started back in as much confusion as a good man with a crystal conscience might betray in mere surprise. Recognition came upon him the next moment, and he cried, "'Mr. Chuzzlewit, can I believe my eyes?' "'My dear sir, my good sir! A joyful hour! A happy hour, indeed! Pray, my dear sir, walk in. You find me in my garden-dress. You will excuse it, I know. It is an ancient pursuit gardening. Primitive, my dear sir. Or, if I am not mistaken, Adam was the first of our calling. My eve, I grieve to say, is no more, sir.' But here—he pointed to his spade, and shook his head, as if he were not cheerful without an effort— but I do a little bit of Adam still. He had by this time got them into the best parlour, where the portrait by Spiller and the bus by Spoker were. "'My daughters,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'will be overjoyed. If I could feel weary upon such a theme, I should have been worn out long ago, my dear sir, by their constant anticipation of this happiness and their repeated allusions to our meeting at Mrs. Todger's.' "'Their fair young friend, too,' said Mr. Pecksniff, whom they so desire to know and love indeed to know her is to love i hope i see her well i hope in saying welcome to my humble roof i find some echo in her own sentiments if features are an index to the heart i have no fears of that an extremely engaging expression of countenance mr chuzzlewit my dear sir very much so mary said the old man mr pecksniff flatters you but flattery from him is worth the having he is not a dealer in it and it comes from his heart we thought mr pinch said mary mr pinch would have arrived before us pecksniff he did arrive before you my dear sir retorted pecksniff raising his voice for the edification of tom upon the stairs and was about i dare say to tell me of your coming when i begged him first to knock at my daughter's chamber and inquire after charity my dear child who is not so well as I could wish." "'No,' said Mr. Pecksniff, answering their looks, "'I am sorry to say she is not. It is merely a a hysterical affection. Nothing more. I am not uneasy. Mr. Pinch—' "'Thomas,' exclaimed Pecksniff, in his kindest accents, "'pray come in. I shall make no stranger of you. Thomas is a friend of mine, of rather long-standing, Mr. Chuzzlewit, you must know.' Thank you sir said tom you introduce me very kindly and speak of me in terms of which i am very proud old thomas cried his master pleasantly god bless you tom reported that the young ladies would appear directly and that the best refreshments which the house afforded were even then in preparation under their joint superintendence while he was speaking the old man looked at him intently though with less harshness than was common to him nor did the mutual embarrassment of tom and the young lady to whatever cause he attributed it seemed to escape his observation pecksniff he said after a pause rising and taking him aside towards the window i was much shocked of hearing my brother's death we have been strangers for many years my only comfort is that he must have lived the happier and better man for having associated no hopes or schemes with me peace to his memory we were playfellows once and it would have been better for us both if we had died then finding him in this gentle mood mr pecksniff began to see another way out of his difficulties besides the casting overboard of jonas that any man my dear sir could possibly be the happier for not knowing you he returned you will excuse my doubting but that mr anthony in the evening of his life was happier in the affection of his excellent son a pattern my dear sir a pattern to all sons and in the care of a distant relation who however lowly in his means of serving him, had no bounds to his inclination. I can inform you." "'How's this?' said the old man. "'You are not a legatee?' "'You don't,' said Mr. Pecksniff, with a melancholy pressure of his hand. "'Quite understand my nature, yet I find. No, sir. I am not a legatee. I am proud to say I am not a legatee. I am proud to say that neither of my children is a legatee. And yet, sir, I was with him at his own request. He understood me somewhat better, sir. He wrote and said, I am sick, I am sinking. Come to me. I went to him, I sat beside his bed, sir, and I stood beside his grave. Yes, at the risk of offending even you. I did it, sir, though the avowal should lead to our instant separation, and to the severing of those tender ties between us which have recently been formed. I make it, but I am not a legatee," said Mr. Pecksniff, smiling dispassionately and I never expected to be a legatee. I knew better." "'His son is a pattern,' cried old Martin. "'How can you tell me that? My brother had in his wealth the usual doom of wealth, and root of misery. He carried his corrupting influence with him, go where he would, and shed it round him, even on his hearth. It made of his own child a greedy expectant, who measured every day and hour the lessening distance between his father and the grave, and cursed his tardy progress on that dismal road. No! cried Mr. Pecksniff, boldly, not at all, sir. I deny it, Mr. Pecksniff answered warmly. I deny it altogether. That bereaved young man is now in this house, sir, seeking in a change of scene the peace of mind he has lost. Shall I be backward in doing justice to that young man, when even undertakers and coffin-makers have been moved by the conduct he has exhibited, when even mutes have spoken in his praise, and the medical man hasn't known what to do with himself? In the excitement of his feelings. There is a person of the name of Gamp, sir. Mrs. Gamp, ask her. She saw Mr. Jonas in a trying time. Ask her, sir. She is respectable, but not sentimental, and will state the fact. A line addressed to Mrs. Gamp, at the bird-shop, Kingsgate Street, High Holborn, London, will meet with every attention, I have no doubt. Let her be examined, my good sir. Strike, but here. Leap, Mr. Chuzzlewit, but look. Forgive me, my dear sir, said Mr. Pecksniff, taking both his hands, if I am warm, but I am honest and must state the truth. In proof of the character he gave himself, Mr. Pecksniff suffered tears of honesty to ooze out of his eyes. The old man gazed at him for a moment with a look of wonder, repeating to himself, here and now in this house, but he mastered his surprise and said after a pause, let me see him in a friendly spirit i hope said mr pecksniff forgive me sir but he is in the receipt of my humble hospitality i said replied the old man let me see him if i were disposed to regard him in any other than a friendly spirit i should have said keep us apart certainly my dear sir so you would you are frankness itself i know i will break his happiness to him said mr pecksniff as he left the room if you will excuse me for a minute gently He paved the way to the disclosure so very gently that a quarter of an hour elapsed before he returned with Mr. Jonas. In the meantime the young ladies had made their appearance, and the table had been set out for the refreshment of the travellers. Now, however well Mr. Pecksniff, in his morality, had taught Jonas the lesson of dutiful behaviour to his uncle, and however perfectly Jonas, in the cunning of his nature, had learnt it, that young man's bearing, when presented to his father's brother, Was anything but manly or engaging. Perhaps, indeed, so singular a mixture of defiance and obsequiousness, of fear and hardihood, of dogged sullenness, and an attempt at enraging and propitiation, was never expressed in one human figure as that of Jonas. When having raised his downcast eyes to Martin's face, he let them fall again, and, uneasily closing and unclosing his hands, without a moment's intermission, stood swinging himself and side to side waiting to be addressed nephew said the old man you have been a dutiful son i hear those dutiful sons in general i suppose returned jonas looking up and down once more i don't brag to have been any better than other sons but i haven't been any worse i dare say pattern to all sons i am told said the old man glancing towards mr pecksniff ecod said jonas looking up again for a moment and shaking his head i've been as good a son as ever you were a brother it's the pot and the kettle if you come to that you speak bitterly in the violence of your regrets said martin after a pause give me your hand jonas did so and was almost at his ease pecksniff he whispered as they drew their chairs about the table i gave him as good as he brought her he'd better look at home before he looks out of a window i think mr pecksniff only answered by a nudge of the elbow which might either be construed into an indignant remonstrance or a cordial assent but which in any case was an emphatic admonition to his chosen son-in-law to be silent he then proceeded to do the honours of the house with his accustomed ease and amiability but not even mr pecksniff's guileless merriment could set such a party at their ease or reconcile materials so utterly discordant and conflicting as those with which he had to deal the unspeakable jealousy and hatred which that night's explanation had sown in charity's breast was not to be so easily kept down, and more than once it showed itself in such intensity as seemed to render a full disclosure of all the circumstances then and there impossible to be avoided. The beauteous Mary, too, with all the glory of her conquest fresh upon her, so probed and lanced the rankling disappointment of her sister by her capricious airs and thousand little trials of Mr. Jonas's obedience. That she almost goaded her into a fit of madness, and obliged her to retire from table in a burst of passion, hardly less vehement than that to which she had abandoned herself in the first tumult of her wrath. The constraint imposed upon the family by the presence among them for the first time of Mary Graham, for by that name old Martin Chuzzlewit had introduced her, did not at all improve this state of things. Gentle and quiet though her manner was, Mr Pecksniff's situation was peculiarly trying, for what with having constantly to keep the peace between his daughters, to maintain a reasonable show of affection and unity in his household, to curb the growing ease and gaiety of Jonas, which vented itself in sundry insolences towards Mr Pinch, and an indefinable coarseness of manner in reference to Mary, they being the two dependents, to make no mention at all of his having perpetually to conciliate his rich old relative, and to smooth down or explain away some of the ten thousand bad appearances and combinations of bad appearances by which they were surrounded on that unlucky evening what with having to do this and it would be difficult to sum up how much more without the least relief or assistance from anybody it may be easily imagined that mr pecksniff had in his enjoyment something more than that usual portion of alloy which is mixed up with the best of men's delights perhaps he had never in his life felt such relief as when old martin looking at his watch announced that it was time to go we have rooms he said at the dragon for the present i have a fancy for the evening walk the nights are dark just now perhaps mr pinch would not object to light us home my dear sir cried pecksniff i shall be delighted merry my child the lantern the lantern if you please my dear said martin but i couldn't think of taking your father out of doors to-night and to be brief i won't mr pecksniff already had his hat in his hand but it was so emphatically said that he paused i take mr pinch or go alone said martin which shall it be it shall be thomas sir cried pecksniff since you are so resolute upon it thomas my friend be very careful if you please Tom was in some need of this injunction, for he felt so nervous, and trembled to such a degree, that he found it difficult to hold the lantern. How much more difficult, when at the old man's bidding she drew her hand through his, Tom Pinch's arm. And so, Mr. Pinch said Martin, on the way, you are very comfortably situated here, are you? Tom answered with even more than his usual enthusiasm, that he was under obligations to Mr. Pecksniff, which the devotion of a lifetime, would but imperfectly repay how long have you known my nephew asked martin your nephew sir faltered tom mr jonas chuzzlewit said mary oh dear yes cried tom greatly relieved for his mind was running upon martin certainly i never spoke to him before to-night sir perhaps half a lifetime will suffice for the acknowledgment of his kindness observed the old man tom felt that this was a rebuff for him and could not but understand it as a left-handed hit at his employer so he was silent. Mary felt that Mr. Pinch was not remarkable for presence of mind, and that he could not say too little under existing circumstances. So she was silent. The old man, disgusted by what in his suspicious nature he considered a shameless and fulsome puff of Mr. Pecksniff, which was a part of Tom's hired service, and in which he was determined to persevere, set him down at once for a deceitful, servile, miserable fawner So he was silent. And though they were all sufficiently uncomfortable, it is fair to say that Martin was perhaps the most so, for he felt kindly towards Tom at first, and had been interested by his seeming simplicity. You are like the rest, he thought, glancing at the face of the unconscious Tom. You had nearly imposed upon me, but you have lost your labour. You are too zealous a toad-eater, and betray yourself, Mr. Pinch. During the whole remainder of the walk, not another word was spoken. First among the meetings to which tom had long looked forward to with a beating heart it was memorable for nothing but embarrassment and confusion they parted at the dragon door and sighing as he extinguished the candle in the lantern tom turned back again over the gloomy fields as he approached the first stile which was in a lonely part made very dark by a plantation of young firs a man slipped past him and went on before Coming to the stile, he stopped and took his seat upon it. Tom was rather startled, and for a moment stood still, but he stepped forward again immediately and went close up to him. It was Jonas, swinging his legs to and fro, sucking the head of a stick, and looking with a sneer at Tom. "'Good gracious me!' cried Tom. "'Who would have thought it's being you? You followed us, then?' "'What's that to you?' said Jonas. "'Go to the devil!' "'You're not very civil, I think,' remarked Tom civil enough for you retorted jonas who are you one who has a good right to common consideration as another said tom mildly you're a liar said jonas you haven't any right to any consideration you haven't any right to anything you're a pretty sort of fellow to talk about your rights upon my soul i have rights too if you proceed in this way returned tom reddening you will oblige me to talk about my wrongs but i hope your joke is over "'It's the way with you, curs,' said Mr. Jonas, "'that when you know a man's in real earnest, "'you pretend to think he's joking, so you may turn it off. "'But I won't do with me. It's too stale. "'Now just attend to me for a bit, Mr. Pitch, or Witch, or Stitch, "'or whatever your name is.' "'My name is Pinch,' observed Tom. "'Have the goodness to call me by it.' "'What? You mustn't even be called out of your name, mustn't you?' cried Jonas. "'Pawp-apprentices are looking up, I think. "'You cod! We manage them a little better in the city.' "'Never mind what you do in the city,' said Tom. "'What have you got to say to me?' "'Just this, Mr. Pinch,' retorted Jonas, thrusting his face so close to Tom's that Tom was obliged to retreat a step. "'I advise you to keep your own counsel and to avoid tittle-tattle and not to cut in where you're not wanted. I've heard something of you, my friend, and your meek ways, and I recommend you to forget em till I'm married to one of Pecksniff's gals and not to curry favour among my relations, but to leave the course clear you know when curs won't leave the course clear they're whipped off so this is kind advice D'ye you understand There, uh? damn who are you cried jonas with increased contempt that you should walk home with them unless it was behind em like any other servant out of livery come cried tom i see that you had better get off the stile and let me pursue my way home make room for me if you please don't think of it said jonas spreading out his legs not till i choose and I don't choose now. What, you're afraid of my making you split upon some of your babbling just now, are you, sneak?" "'I am not afraid of many things, I hope,' said Tom, and certainly not of anything that you will do. I am not a tale-bearer, and I despise all meanness. You quite mistake me." "'Ah!' cried Tom indignantly. "'This is manly from one in your position to one in mine. Please to make room for me to pass. The less I say, the better.' "'The less you say,' retorted Jonas, dangling his legs the more, and taking no heed of this request. "'You say very little, don't you, Ecod? I should like to know what goes on between you and a vagabond member of my family, and there's very little in that too, I dare say. I know no vagabond member of your family,' cried Tom stoutly. "'You do?' said Jonas. "'I don't,' said Tom. "'Your uncle's namesake, if you mean him, is no vagabond. Any comparison between you and him?' tom snapped his fingers at him for he was rising fast in wrath is immeasurably to your disadvantage oh indeed sneered jonas what do you think of his dearie his beggarly leavings eh mr pinch i don't mean to say another word or stay here another instant replied tom as i told you before you're a liar said jonas coolly you'll stay here till i give you leave to go now keep where you are will you he flourished his stick over tom's head but in a moment it was spinning harmlessly in the air, and Jonas himself lay sprawling in the ditch. In the momentary struggle for the stick, Tom had brought it into violent contact with his opponent's forehead, and the blood welled out profusely from a deep cut on the temple. Tom was first apprised of this by seeing that he pressed his handkerchief to the wounded part, and staggered as he rose, being stunned. "'Are you hurt?' said Tom. "'I am very sorry. Lean on me for a moment.' You can do that without forgiving me if you still bear me malice, but I don't know why, for I never offended you before we met on this spot. He made him no answer, not appearing at first to understand him, or to even know that he was hurt, though he several times took his handkerchief from the cut to look vacantly at the blood upon it. After one of these examinations he looked at Tom, and there was an expression in his features which showed that he understood what had taken place, and would remember it. Nothing more passed between them as they went home. Jonas kept a little in advance, and Tom Pinch sadly followed, thinking of the grief which the knowledge of this quarrel must occasion his excellent benefactor. When Jonas knocked at the door, Tom's heart beat high, higher when Miss Mercy answered it, and seeing her wounded lover shrieked aloud, higher when he followed them into the family parlour, higher than at any other time when Jonas spoke don't make a noise about it he said it's nothing worth mentioning i didn't know the road the night's very dark and just as i come up with mr pinch he turned his face toward tom but not his eyes i ran against a tree it's only skin deep cold water merry my child cried mr pecksniff brown paper scissors a piece of old linen charity my dear make a bandage bless me mr jonas ah bother your nonsense returned the gracious son-in-law elect be of some use if you can if you can't get out miss charity though called upon to lend her aid sat upright in one corner with a smile upon her face and didn't move a finger though mercy laved the wound herself and mr pecksniff held the patient's head between his two hands as if without that assistance it must inevitably come in half and tom pinch in his guilty agitation shook a bottle of dutch drops until they were nothing but english froth and in his other hand, sustained a formidable carving-knife, really intended to reduce the swelling, but apparently designed for the ruthless infliction of another wound as soon as that was dressed. Charity rendered not the least assistance, nor uttered a word, but when Mr. Jonas's head was bound up, and he had gone to bed, and everybody else had retired, and the house was quiet, Mr. Pinch, as he sat mournfully on his bedstead, ruminating, heard a gentle tap at his door, and opening it, saw her, to his great astonishment, standing before him, with a finger on her lip. "'Mr. Pinch,' she whispered. "'Dear Mr. Pinch, tell me the truth. You did that. There was some quarrel between you, and you struck him. I am sure of it.' It was the first time she had ever spoken kindly to Tom in all the many years they had passed together. He was stupefied with amazement. Was it so? Or not? she eagerly demanded. "'I was very much provoked,' said Tom then it was cried charity with sparkling eyes yes we had a struggle for the path said tom but i didn't mean to hurt him so much not so much she repeated clenching her hand and stamping her foot to tom's great wonder don't say that it was brave of you i honour you for it if you should ever quarrel again don't spare him for the world but beat him down and set your shoe upon him not a word of this to anybody dear mr pinch i am your friend from to-night I am always your friend from this time." She turned her flushed face upon Tom, to confirm her words by its kindling expression, and seizing his right hand pressed it to her breast and kissed it. And there was nothing personal in this to render it at all embarrassing, for even Tom, whose power of observation was by no means remarkable, knew from the energy from which she did it that she would have fondled any hand, no matter how bedaubed or had broken the head of Jonas Chuzzlewit. Tom went into his room, and went to bed, full of uncomfortable thoughts. That there should be any such tremendous division in the family as he knew must have taken place to convert Charity Pecksniff into his friend. For any reason but, above all, for that which was clearly the real one, that Jonas, who had assailed him with such exceeding coarseness, should have been sufficiently magnanimous to keep the secret of their quarrel and that any train of circumstances should have led to the commission of an assault and battery by Thomas Pinch upon any man calling himself the friend of Seth Pecksniff. Were matters of such deep and painful cogitation that he could not close his eyes. His own violence in particular so preyed upon the generous mind of Tom, that coupling it with the many former occasions on which he had given Mr. Pecksniff pain and anxiety, occasions of which that gentleman often reminded him, he really began to regard himself as destined by a mysterious fate to be the evil genius and bad angel of his patron but he fell asleep at last and dreamed new source of waking uneasiness that he had betrayed his trust and run away with mary graham it must be acknowledged that asleep or awake tom's position in reference to this young lady was full of uneasiness the more he saw of her the more he admired her beauty her intelligence the amiable qualities that even won on the divided house of Pecksniff, and in a few days restored, at all events, the semblance of harmony and kindness between the angry sisters. When she spoke, Tom held his breath, so eagerly he listened; when she sang, he sat like one entranced; she touched his organ, and from that bright epoch, even it, the old companion of his happiest hours, incapable as he had thought of elevation, began a new and deified existence. God's love upon thy patience, Tom, who that had beheld thee for three summer weeks, poring through half the dead long night over the jingling anatomy of that inscrutable old harpsichord in the back parlour, could have missed the entrance to thy secret heart, albeit it was dimly known to thee? Who that had seen the glow upon thy cheek, when leaning down to listen after hours of labor? With the sound of one incorrigible note, thou foundest that it had a voice at last, and wheezed out a flat something, distantly akin to what it ought to be, would not have known that it was destined for no common touch, but one that smote, though gently as an angel's hand, upon the deepest chord within thee. And if a friendly glance, ay, even though it were as guileless as thine own, dear Tom, could have but pierced the twilight of that evening, when in a voice well tempered to the time, sad sweet and low yet hopeful she first sang to the altered instrument and wondered at the change and though sitting apart at the open window kept a glad silence and a swelling heart must not that glance have read perforce the dawning of a story tom that it were well for thee had never begun tom pinch's situation was not made the less dangerous or difficult by the fact of no one word passing between them in reference to martin Honourably mindful of his promise, Tom gave her opportunities of all kinds early and late he was in the church, in her favourite walks, in the village, in the garden, in the meadows, and in any or all of these places he might have spoken freely, but no, at all such times she carefully avoided him, or never came in his way unaccompanied. It could not be that she disliked or distrusted him, for by a thousand little delicate means, too slight for any notice but his own she singled him out when the others were present and showed herself the very soul of kindness could it be that she had broken with martin or had never returned his affection save in his own bold and heightened fancy tom's cheek grew red with self-reproach as he dismissed the thought all this time old martin came and went in his own strange manner or sat among the rest absorbed within himself and holding little intercourse with any one Although he was unsocial, he was not wilful in other things, or troublesome or morose, being never better pleased than when they left him quite unnoticed at his book, and pursued their own amusements in his presence unreserved. It was impossible to discern in whom he took an interest, or whether he had an interest in any of them. Unless they spoke to him directly, he never showed that he had ears or eyes for anything that passed. One day the lively Mary, sitting with downcast eyes under a shady tree in the churchyard, whither she had retired after fatiguing herself by the imposition of sundry trials on the temper of Mr. Jonas, felt that a new shadow came between her and the sun. Raising her eyes in the expectation of seeing her betrothed, she was not a little surprised to see old Martin instead. Her surprise was not diminished when he took his seat upon the turf beside her, and opened a conversation thus. When are you to be married?" "'Oh, dear, Mr. Chuzzlewit! my goodness me, I'm sure I don't know. Not a while, I hope." "'You hope?' said the old man. It was very gravely said, but she took it for banter, and giggled excessively. "'Come,' said the old man, with unusual kindness. "'You are young, good-looking, and I think good-natured. Frivolous you are, and love to be undoubtedly, but you must have some heart.' "'I have not given it all away, I can tell you,' said Mary, nodding her head shrewdly, and plucking up the grass. Have you parted with any of it?" She threw the grass about, and looked another way, but said nothing. Martin repeated his question. "'Lor, my dear Mr. Chuzzlewit, really, you must excuse me. How very odd you are.' "'If it be odd in me to desire to know whether you love the young man whom I understand you are to marry—' "'I am very odd,' said Martin. "'For that is certainly my wish.' "'He's such a monster, you know,' said Merry, pouting. "'Then you don't love him,' returned the old man. "'Is that your meaning?' Why, my dear Mr. Chuzzlewit, I am sure I tell him a hundred times a day that I hate him. You must have heard me tell him that. Often," said Martin. And so I do," cried Mary. I do positively. Being at the same time engaged to marry him, observed the old man. Oh, yes," said Mary. but I told the wretch, my dear Mr. Chuzzlewit, I told him when he asked me, that if I ever did marry him it should only be that I might hate and tease him all my life. She had a suspicion that the old man regarded Jonas with anything but favour, and intended these remarks to be extremely captivating. He did not appear, however, to regard them in that light by any means, for when he spoke again it was in a tone of severity. "'Look about you,' he said, pointing to the graves, "'and remember that from your bridal hour to the day which sees you brought as low as these, and laid in such a bed, there will be no appeal against him think and speak and act for once like an accountable creature is any control put upon your inclinations are you forced into this match are you insidiously advised or tempted to contract it by any one i will not ask by whom by any one no said merry shrugging her shoulders i don't know that i am don't know that you are are you no replied merry nobody ever said anything to me about it if any one had tried to make me have him i wouldn't have had him at all I am told he was at first supposed to be your sister's admirer," said Martin. "'Oh, good gracious, my dear Mr. Chuzzlewit, it would be very hard to make him, though he is a monster, accountable for other people's vanity,' said Merry, and poor dear Cherry is the vainest darling. It was her mistake, then. "'I hope it was,' cried Merry, but all along the dear child has been so dreadfully jealous and so cross, that upon my word and honour it is impossible to please her, and it is of no use trying.' not forced persuaded or controlled said martin thoughtfully and that's true i see there is one chance yet you may have lapsed into this engagement in very giddiness it may have been the wanton act of a light head is that so my dear mr chuzzlewit simpered merry as to light-headedness there never was such a feather of a head as mine it's a perfect balloon i declare you never did you know he waited quietly till she had finished and then said steadily and slowly and in a softened voice, as if he would still invite her confidence, have you any wish, or is there anything within your breast that whispers you may form the wish, if you have time to think, to be released from this engagement? Again Miss Merry pouted and looked down, and plucked the grass and shrugged her shoulders. No, she didn't know that she had. She was pretty sure she hadn't, quite sure, she might say, she didn't mind it. Has it ever occurred to you, said Martin, that your married life may perhaps be miserable, full of bitterness, and most unhappy? Mary looked down again, and now she tore the grass up by the roots. My dear Mr. Chuzzlewit, what shocking words! Of course I shall quarrel with him. I should quarrel with any husband. Married people always quarrel, I believe. But as to being miserable and bitter, and all those dreadful things, you know, why, I couldn't be absolutely that, unless he always had the best of it and I mean to have the best of it myself. I always do now," cried Merry, nodding her head and giggling very much, for I make a perfect slave of the creature. Let it go on, said Martin, rising, let it go on. I sought to know your mind, my dear, and you have shown it me. I wish you joy. Joy, he repeated, looking full upon her, and pointing to the wicket gate where Jonas entered at the moment, and then, without waiting for his nephew, he passed out at another gate and went away. "'Oh, you terrible old man!' cried the facetious Merry to herself. "'What a perfectly hideous monster! "'To be wandering about churchyards in the broad daylight, "'frightening people out of their wits. "'Don't come here, Griffin, or I'll go away directly.' "'Mr. Jonas was the Griffin. "'He sat down upon the grass at her side, in spite of this warning, "'and sulkily inquired, "'What's my uncle been a-talking about?' "'About you,' rejoined Merry. "'He says you're not half good enough for me.' oh yes i dare say we all know that he means to give you some present worth having i hope did he say anything that looked like it that he didn't cried merry most decisively a stingy old dog he is said jonas well griffin cried miss mercy in counterfeit amazement what are you doing griffin only giving you a squeeze said the discomfited jonas there's no harm in that i suppose but there is a great deal of harm in it if you don't consider it agreeable returned his cousin do go along with you you make me so hot mr jonas withdrew his arm and for a moment looked at her more like a murderer than a lover but he cleared his brow by degrees and broke silence with i say mel what do you say you vulgar thing you low savage cried his fair betrothed when is it to be i can't afford to go on dawdling about here half my life i needn't tell you and pecksniff says that father's being so lately dead makes very little odds for we can be married as quiet as we please down here and me being lonely is a good reason to the neighbours for taking a wife home so soon, especially one that he knew. As to Crossbones, my uncle, I mean, he's sure not to put a spoke in the wheel whatever we settle on, for he told Pecksniff only this morning that if you liked it, he'd nothing at all to say. So, Mel, said Jonas, venturing on another squeeze, when shall it be? Pon my word, cried Merry. Pon my soul, if you like, said Jonas. What do you say to next week now? So next week if you had said next quarter i should have wondered at your impudence but i didn't say next quarter retorted jonas i said next week then griffin cried miss merry pushing him off and rising i say no not next week it shan't be till i choose and i may not choose it to be for months there he glanced up at her from the ground almost as darkly as he had looked at tom pinch but held his peace no fright of a griffin with a patcher of his eye shall dictate to me i have a voice in the matter said merry there still mr jonas held his peace if it's next month that shall be the very earliest but i won't say when it shall be till to-morrow and if you don't like that it shall never be at all said merry and if you follow me about and won't leave me alone it shall never be at all there and if you don't do anything i order you to do it shall never be at all so don't follow me there griffin and with that she skipped away among the trees. Ecod, my lady,' said Jonas, looking after her, and biting a piece of straw almost to powder, "'you'll catch it for this when you are married. It's all very well now. It keeps one on somehow, and you know it. But I'll pay you off scot and lot by and by. This is a plaguy, dull sort of a place for a man to be sitting by himself in. I could never abide a mouldy old churchyard.' As he turned into the avenue himself, Miss Merry, who was far ahead, happened to look back. "'Ah!' said Jonas, with a sullen smile, and a nod that was not addressed to her. "'Make the most of it while it lasts. Get in your hay while the sun shines. Take your own way, as long as it's in your power, my lady.'" End of chapter 24